Hey guys, I'm Jen Rosenbaum and I am your hostess of the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you're a kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass, you are in the right place. And today you are going to get a kick in the ass because we are talking to Dr. Orlena Carrick. Very welcome uh, to have her here. I'm so excited. Hi, uh, Orlena. How are you? Hi, very well. And thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It's so nice to hear your voice and your accent because I was just in the UK for the first time and I miss all my London friends. So it's, it's so nice to hear you also. I hope you had a wonderful time. London is a busy, busy place. It was really fun. I really loved it a lot. Um, so today, before we at least get into everything, tell everybody a little bit about who you are. You are um, a pediatrician, and it says here that you accidentally lost your medical career. How did that happen? Yeah, I think that's about right. It kind of sums it up. <laughs> So yeah, I was a pediatric doctor. I was, I, as you can tell, I'm from the UK and I was in the training scheme there, which, you know, it takes years and years to become a fully blown um, pediatric doctor, but I had my exams. But, you know, I kind of decided I wanted something else. I wanted to live abroad. I wanted to travel and see the world. And that's partly why I went into medicine. The irony being that I now travel because I live in Spain and I'm no longer doing clinical medicine. But I did... I think I moved with what I call my eyes wide shut, you know, at that time we were in the European Union and I thought, oh, I can just be a doctor in Spain. And on one level I kind of can, but it's kind of complicated. And for one reason and another, I accidentally lost my medical career. <laughs> mm. Was it an accident, do you think? Well, no, I did really genuinely move here. Like on one level, yes, I think it was an accident. I moved here thinking I could do what I wanted to do, which was being a hospital doctor. But the reality of that was I would have had to do my exam again, all of my exams again, and I would have had to start from the bottom, and I didn't want to do that. Mm. But then on another level, you know, you said, is it an accident? And I kind of, I'm one of these people who believes a little bit woo-woo, you know, and I kind of think yeah, I had my eyes wide shut and I kind of knew what I was doing. I was putting myself in this situation where I had to create something else. So mm. and it's been a long ride, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I woke up and suddenly everything was um, daisies and unicorns. Right. But it was an interesting journey. And I think that all of those things I have learned from. So on another level, I think, no, it wasn't an accident. And I'm now busy creating my ideal, wonderful life. And I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful. What is that ideal life? Well, I have four children um, and it's partly running my own business and freedom. I loved being a doctor and I really miss the clinical one-on-one -on -one work that I did. But you know what? I didn't like doing nights and I didn't like doing weekends and I didn't like being that really busy, busy, busy that so many people have. So now I work in the morning when my children go to school, they go to school in the morning and then they come home for lunch and they go to school in the afternoon. That's like how people do it in Spain. That's the school hours. So I work in the morning, the kids come home, I have my lunch and then between three and five, I do me stuff. So I go swimming. I've just come back from yoga. So I do stuff that nourishes me and gives me time to be me. And I'm busy creating my house which is another project I'm working on and I want to do more things like get back into playing musical instruments so you know that's my dream life on one level it is amazing because it's what I want to be doing and expressing myself and having the freedom to do all of those amazing things without feeling guilty because I did used to feel super guilty about not being busy and not working and mm -hmm. not doing these things 
And on another level, it's kind of mundane. I go swimming. But yeah, that's my ideal life. Mm. Well, and this is why I really wanted to talk to you today. This is what appealed to me to have you as a podcast guest was really to talk about, it's so interesting how you are a pediatrician and you're a doctor and you take care of children and you have four children of your own that you take care of. But really one of the things that struck out to you or stuck out to you in your career is that women really had a hard time taking care of themselves. And, and what you're saying is that you do that and that you're helping women do that for themselves as well. Yes, totally. And I think that was totally my journey. So, you know, when I found myself in Spain with four young children, well, I, I had twins here, but I had four kids under the age of four and a half. And, you know, I can glibly talk about accidentally losing my career now because I'm not in the depths of despair anymore. But at the time I was in that pit where, you know, it was this huge, great knock to my identity and my self-worth and thinking well, what do you do you just cook dinner for kids and they don't even eat that so what's right. the point what <laughs> so training that you've done for that now I'm not knocking being a parent being a parent is really hard work but I wanted something more and I just didn't have it and my journey looked like I my husband became unwell and it was partly stress related and I just kind of saw myself being more grumpy than I wanted to be, mm. you know, like snapping at the children and just feeling this frustration and overwhelm. And I ended up doing a parenting course, which was a really good parenting course, but essentially it was about looking at my own emotions and working on my own emotions. Mm -hmm. And that was really my path into like opening my eyes and realizing that I can go swimming because it's good for me. And I don't have to do everything for my kids the whole time. And actually when I start looking after myself, I am actually there to look after them better. I turn mm -hmm. up with more energy. Mm -hmm. But I really began to see that I wasn't alone. Okay, so I had a unique story. I had accidentally lost my career, but that wasn't the career bit wasn't the problem. It was the everything else on top of that. And the fact that I wasn't, you know, I was eating healthily. That was about the only thing that was consistent. Well, relatively healthily, I would say. <laughs> you know I wasn't exercising I wasn't doing anything that replenished my soul mm -hmm. I wasn't doing any kind of mindfulness which I think is super important mm -hmm. and you know I wasn't sleeping properly and no wonder I was turning up being grumpy and struggling with these four kids my kids have huge emotions I think all kids have huge emotions mm -hmm. but it's a big thing to take on and I, yeah I think that's sort of where we go and, and and you can see why because when you're a mother you have to look after your kids and mm. then you kind of get into this habit of always putting everyone first. And there comes a time when your kids are at school and doing all these things and you can go, okay, so now I can look after myself a bit more as well. Right. So these are the four pillars that you talk about, nutrition, exercise, sleep, and emotional wellness. Yeah. That's the way I see wellness because mm. it's just a way of dividing up. Like some people talk about eight some people talk about six. I like simple. So I've gone with four. So yeah, nutrition, um, exercise and exercise I think is the key to feeling fit and fabulous and so many people say oh I haven't got time or energy to to exercise and I think if I don't exercise when I get grumpy my husband goes go to the swimming pool <laughs> yeah yeah and you know I find for me like as I get older exercise is more and more important not just for the physical and the mental but actually you know, the physical meaning like being in shape or fitting into my jeans, but the actual physical of like my skeleton, like I find that my bones hurt a lot more if I don't exercise and that, you know, you start losing that flexibility and 
you know, we used to make fun, like when we were younger, like older people, right? They would sit on the floor and they couldn't get up. And I find there are days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I like can't move the way I want to move. But when I exercise a lot, it helps me with that body movement as well. Yeah, totally. And I think you're absolutely right. I think young people in their 20s have what I call like fitness of youth, you know, that I was like that. I did no exercise, but you know, if I could run and stay thin, but as we get older, the aging process happens. And from the age of 40 onwards, we lose muscle mass. So we have to counterbalance that. And I know it sounds, you know, ridiculous. On my podcast, I talk about things like osteoporosis. And you think, oh, goodness, that happens to people who are 70 or 80. But actually, it starts now. And yeah. we need to start making, doing exercise so that we are fit and have muscle tone and bone strength so that we don't put ourselves in danger in the future. Yeah. Exercise, I think is one of those things I like to say, it's definitely like a use it or lose it kind of a thing. You have to use your body or you're going to lose it. Yeah. And I think as well, that people don't realize that our bodies feel better when we use them. We're made to use them. We talk about, you know, oh, I can't get a dog because I don't, you know, you have to walk your dog. Well, you have to walk yourselves. And it doesn't have to be huge, intensive exercise. Like even walking is a good exercise, but our bodies do need movement and our bodies thrive when we have movement. Mm, I walked three miles this morning, actually, which is not that much, but you know what? It was, it's not just about the walking. It was like, you know, it's winter here, it's freezing. (laughs) And so today was a, a fairly nice day and it was a good day to get outside and get some fresh air and get some vitamin D and you know, be in nature. There's so many more benefits to like walking outside than just moving your body too. Yeah. And in the cold as well, you get benefits because cold promotes your brown fat and that's really good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So we talk about exercise. Let's talk a little bit about nutrition because you mentioned here that um, you use the med style diet as framework. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and how you, um, as a doctor, I always think this is so curious as a pediatrician, especially, and a mom, how on earth do you get healthy food into your children and yourself all the time? How does that happen? Okay, systems and habits are my my main thing. And I think everyone has different systems and habits, and it's just knowing your systems and habits. So I'll talk a bit about the MedStyle diet, and then I'll tell you about kids, because they're two quite big topics. <laughs> yes. So the, the MedStyle diet is lots of vegetables, lots Mm -hmm. of variety of vegetables and fruit Mm -hmm. and and less refined carbohydrates. So carbohydrates include fruit and vegetables, but you want to be getting your carbs from fruit and vegetables and not from packets like flour and sugar. Um, We talk about protein. Now, protein is a slightly controversial area and I think small amount of protein is good. So protein is, you know, eggs, fish, meat, and you can have vegetable sources as well. Um, nuts and seeds are another good thing that are in the Mediterranean style diet and fats. You want to be thinking about the fats that you have in your diet. Specifically, I recommend extra virgin olive oil. And so I use it as a framework because it doesn't matter what flavors you have or it's, it's just essentially looking at the research that is out there now and, you know, cherry picking the best bits and it kind of falls into this Mediterranean style diet. So Sadly, it's not pasta and pizza, which is what most people think about when they think about Mediterranean style diet. It's not pasta. It's not bread. It's thinking about whole grains and legumes. Right. It's not Italy. It's more Greece. (laughs) You know what? Actually, it's actually Spain is where they did. It's Spain where they did one of the big, big studies called the PREDIMED study. But actually, I think that if you look at the whole of the Mediterranean sea, people eat lots of lentils and legumes and vegetables. That's their traditional. Because, you know, you think about Spain and you think about paella, but 
But actually, it's a paella's a party thing. It's something you have when your daughter gets married and you have to, um, you know, cook for 100 people. It's a big celebration dish. And a lot of the pastas are like lasagna is the same kind of thing. And so people don't eat like that all the time. Now, I don't know what people in Italy eat regularly. And equally here, people don't necessarily eat the Mediterranean style diet because they live in Spain. But it describes that style of eating. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it's it's pretty easy and tasty. It's just a matter of, I guess, variety as far as like taking the same ingredients and making different things with them. And that's really where I fall into problems with my kids. Like my kids will eat a salad or, you know, some broccoli or whatnot, but it's like kind of always recreating it and getting them to stay interested in the food is hard. It is hard. It is hard. So this, <laughs> I did lots of work on picky eating and I have experimented lots on my own children. So I think there's different ways that you need to think about it. So number one is about getting your healthy foods and just thinking about how you prepare those healthy foods. And that's just your system. So for me, I go to market, I buy whatever is on, in season and I take it home and then I cook it. And it's just vegetables. And it, that is super easy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that my kids like eggplants they hate eggplants they hate mushrooms and you know two of my kids are super picky so what you kind of have to do is get that balance right between remembering that if you ask kids what they want to eat they're going to say cake like you know wouldn't you say cake if you (laughs) probably (laughs) we all want to eat cake the whole time we do but we know that that's not a healthy way of eating and equally that's what our kids want to eat but it's about providing them with healthy foods and thinking about, you don't want to push them to eat, but getting that balance right. So it's not about giving them free reign and saying, yeah, of course you can eat cake the whole time. You can live off cake and chocolate. That, it's not that. But it's about getting thinking about your macros. So I, for example, will limit some of the things that my children can eat. Not in a mean way, although obviously they think I'm mean, but it's about saying, well, you know, you can have a slice of bread, or two small slices of bread, and you can have as much vegetables as you want. And also another tip I would really say is make sure that you have something that your children find acceptable. It doesn't have to be their favorite foods, it does have to be acceptable. Now, children do seem to live with this idea that they should always eat only their favorite foods. (laughs) Right, well, I do too, (laughs) now I'm teasing. (laughs) Well, that's fine as long as you love lots of vegetables. If you don't love lots of vegetables, and your favorite food is cake, then yeah, that's when you're right, right. No, I, I can get down with a vegetable. I'm good with that. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right. So uh, my question for you is you're exercising, you're meditating, you're cooking healthy food, and then you talk about prioritizing sleep. I mean, do you have 24 hours in a day? Because I only have 24 hours in a day and it's just, it's just a lot, you know, and I, how old are your kids now? My children are 11, 9, and I've got twins who are 7, so they are sleeping through the night. Right. So you have, um, well, you're in it. Like, I am too. I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. So, like, we're in it. We're in, like, the, you know, driving all over the place and the carpooling, the activities and all of that. It's hard to get sleep, isn't it? It is. It is hard to get sleep. But this is where I think it is just a mindset shift. And it's just about priorities. And I think once you kind of realize how important sleep is, and it's really important, but most importantly, making you feel fit and fabulous, because you do, you know that if you haven't got enough sleep, you feel awful and grumpy the next day. But also, it's really good for loads of illnesses as well. Now the research is showing, you know, 
you're less at risk of Alzheimer's and things like that if you sleep well. And if you want to lose weight, then you know, sleep is your number one thing that you really want to take care of. And it's all to do with your cortisol levels, you know, mm-hmm. your stress hormone. If your stress hormone is high, you put on weight and you don't feel great. So yeah, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I look back to how I used to be a few years ago and it would be, okay, put the kids to bed and sit down and watch television. And that would be my kind of, you know, me time. But really me time is not about television. It's about really getting me time. So it could be exercising or it's whatever like rocks your boat. It's, I can't tell you what your me time is, but it's something that replenishes your soul. And once you've got some, something like that, then you don't mind going to bed earlier mm-hmm. okay not every single day obviously at the weekends you've got parties and stuff like that but if you've got that as your regular okay i'm doing this most of the time now i find i'm getting really old but you know it comes to 10 30 and i'm like i have to turn the light out i can't mm-hmm. actually read it anymore. yeah i'm fine i find now like i'm at the age where my kids stay up later than me like i'm like good night guys you could put me to bed because i am so tired i'm well, not making it up till 10 that's really interesting, actually, because um, there's a book called Why We Sleep, which I really recommend people read by, um, oh, goodness, I think his name is Matt Walker. I'd have to check that. But he talks about sleep, and he has this theory that teenagers stay up late, because back in the day when we were all around a campfire, then they would be staying up, you know, looking after the campfire when everyone else went to bed. And that was kind of a way of allowing them to have a little bit more, you know, I'm in control, I'm... I'm a teenager now, I'm nearly an adult. So it was what they did. And that's why they have different sleep patterns. And so they do stay up later and then, but they want to sleep in later in the morning. And that's normal as well. And that we should just let them do that. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because this is one of the things that I've just chosen not to fight with my daughter about. Like I just, you know, I would say to her, you need to go to bed earlier. You you know, you need more sleep. And now I'm just like, you know what, this is, if this is a little piece of something that that can teach her some responsibility, if she wakes up in the morning tired, that's her problem. She's going to have to learn how to adjust to that. You know, that's, that's what becoming an adult is, isn't it? So I kind of don't fight her on it, but yeah, she definitely is up way later than I am pretty much always. (laughs) Yeah. And that's normal. And I think like if she wants to sleep in at the weekend, if she can, then just let her. And that's kind of, a rite of passage that's what teenagers do you know they sleep till midday <laughs> that's yeah. what we get time. and listen I am not gonna lie to you I love it <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna go to the gym in the morning and I'm gonna have peace and quiet and it's all good for me you know it's like I don't it's it's I find in the mornings now that my kids are sleeping a little bit later it's nice I mean after so many years of getting up at five in the morning with them this is the least they can do is give us a few hours of quiet in the morning now right yeah, exactly. Well, I haven't quite got there yet. So we still yeah. have, um, you know, Sunday morning, they bounce my head at seven o'clock in the morning, which that's my routine now. So I don't really mind. And yeah. I strangely find that on Monday morning, they all sleep in and I have to of go wake We call it Monday morning lion. And I just, I do not understand why they do it on Monday and not on Saturday. <laughs> of course, the weekend screws them up. Um, all right. So let's talk about the last pillar that, and dive into that a little bit about emotions. Um, tell us a little bit about your cycle of thought, emotions, and action and, and how we can um, learn more yeah, about that, I guess. I love emotions. I think emotions are super, super interesting. And you know, basically we have thoughts that create our emotions and our emotions create our actions. And then that goes round in a circle. Let me think of an example. I don't know. Tell me about a time when you were happy about something. Um, 
last week I taught a really great class. I was in Las Vegas and I was, I had about, I don't know, four or 500 people in my class. It was really great. I was, it, the class went really well and I was very happy about it after. Okay. That's amazing. So you're thinking, great, this class has gone really well and you're feeling this emotion of happiness. And then perhaps that leads you to an action, which could be to say, oh, let's go and celebrate or just say hooray. And then that action then helps you. I haven't explained this very well. I don't think I've picked a good example, but it helps you think that again. Now, you could have had a thought. You could have been in the same class with four or 500 people and perhaps people were heckling you a bit and you felt, oh, this isn't going well. And you could have a similar thought, which is, oh my goodness, my teaching was just a disaster. What have I done? And that's going to lead you to have this emotion of like, oh, I'm really upset and disappointed. And then well, it depends what you do. Perhaps you go and eat a cake because you want to feel not so great. And then when you eat that cake, then your thoughts are like, I'm clearly useless because I've just eaten the cake. And now you can see where that spiral is going and it goes round and round and round. And what we want to be doing is creating upward spirals where we you know, feel wonderful and think good thoughts, feel wonderful, and then have positive actions as opposed to downward spirals. Now I would say for parents, downward spirals are relatively easy because we've got so much going on with our kids, you know, and that we get worn down. We have these things called mirror neurons as well. So when your kids are feeling grumpy and they shout at you, we take that on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like you're rushing for the door and everything happens and your child suddenly is grumpy. And then you have this thought about how you're a bad mum, and then you feel upset because of that. And it just goes spirals down and it's easy to spiral down. Yeah. Um, Especially when you have a teenage girl, by the way. Yeah. Yes. I can imagine. If you, if you have a teenage girl, you do nothing right ever. You don't even breathe properly. Well, my daughter's only seven, but you know, I can totally yeah, get that. You'll see. We'll, we'll talk in about six years. <laughs> you'll see what I mean. No, I can totally imagine it. But what we want to do is create upward spirals. And so we can actually access that thought spiral anywhere. We can generate new thoughts. And you can't generate new thoughts that you don't believe. So for example, if you take your, your thought about your, your coaching, if you were to say, oh yeah, it was the best one in the world, you perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't believe that. But you could generate positive thoughts from a, a negative space, like, oh, well, some people enjoyed it, even though they were heckling me, there were other people in the audience. So you can look at it in a more analytical way and think about the positive things. So you can access it there, creating positive thoughts. And you can actually, interestingly, access emotions. And I find this super interesting. But um, I think the person who I love the most about this is Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he writes a lot about creating emotions but you basically can um, you know meditation is the way that he uses so if you sit and you meditate and think about joyous happy thoughts you can create those joyous happy thoughts and he's got a very good book called breaking the habit of being yourself mm. and essentially he says you know you want to get out of the habit of being grumpy and you want to get into the habit of being happy which is really very sensible advice and then you can also access, you, you can also change your actions. So for example, you know, I do lots of work with people who want to eat healthily and you can, when you're making decisions, think, okay, so what would somebody who looks after themselves do? Would they go to the market and buy vegetables or would they go to the bakery and buy takeaway or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And you know, there's different reasons why we do things, but if you take yourself off to the market and buy some healthy fruit and vegetables, then you've got that action. And then you can start to build on that action and go, hey, look, I do take care of myself because I've just shown myself that I do that. 
and you know you do a spiral upwards so that in the nut in a nutshell and I, I have to confess it's not my thought circle it, it's I think the people who came up with it first were Buddhist thought this is essentially Buddhist thought now I know nothing about Buddhist religion <laughs> but I do like to credit them with you know coming up with it a few thousand years ago <laughs> yeah well you know it's I, I talk about this a lot as a photographer you know people will come in oftentimes and say things like oh, I'm not photogenic or, um, you know, this is my good side. This is my bad side or whatever. And I'm always like, who told you that? Like, wh why do you believe that? You know, because maybe they saw, you know, one bad photo of themselves and now they believe that they're not photogenic. But the truth is maybe it was just a bad picture. But we, we, we sort of have these emotions or experience these feelings and then attach ourselves to them. And I find that for humans, it's so much easier to do it to a negative emotion than it is to a positive emotion. You actually have to work harder to do it to a positive emotion. And it always baffles me. I, I was just telling somebody this morning about how I just love how the brain works. And it's baffling to me. It should be, it's counterintuitive that we um, are so attached to these negative feelings and negative emotions. It should, it seems in my mind, at least that it should be that we attach ourselves to positivity so much easier, but we don't. And we have to be aware of that. Well, I, yes, I think there's two things that you've really hit on. And the first is, it's amazing how we believe these. And as a parent, if you look at what your children believe, like if you've got a picky eater and, you know, my children have this thought that mushrooms are disgusting, yet my children have eaten mushrooms without knowing right. it. Right. And, they, and it's just a thought in their head. So we, we grab onto these thoughts from a very, very early age. And the other point is that when you talk about negativity, it does actually make sense that we are, our brains are geared to protect us. Mm. And so it's about danger. And our brains are basically this mechanism of survival. So if you think back to when we were cavemen or in danger and, you know, perhaps you've got a bush and there's a tiger behind the bush. Your brain is saying there's a tiger behind the bush. And that's negatively wired. Well, the consequence of avoiding the bush, if there's a tiger behind it, is you get to seek for food the next right. day. But if you're all positive and happy and you're like, la, 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 there's no tiger behind the bush, I'm into positive thinking, and there is a tiger, then it's lights out for you. So you can see why our brains are negatively wired. And they are negatively wired. Yeah. But the good news is that once you're aware of it, there's loads and loads of things that you can do well, just being aware of it, really, and thinking about these thoughts to counterbalance it and to create positive thoughts and to, you know, generate that positive emotion. Yeah, this is one of the things I talk about in, in my, my cancer book that I'm writing that I haven't really even announced publicly yet, but now everybody knows I'm writing a book. But one of the things that I, that I talk about in there is, and, I, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, is just about asking yourself if it's the truth. You know, because we do love to fantasize. We love to create all of these different what ifs and, you know, all of these negative thoughts and these fantasies. And, and I think when we use the word fantasy, we think of positive, but I'm talking about these negative fantasies, right? Like, oh, this is going to go terrible. And then this is going to happen. It's going to be bad. And, da, 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 da. and then we believe it. And so I always say, like, ask, you know, check in with yourself. Ask yourself, like, is this the truth right now? It might be the truth in a year from now, in three days from now, in 10 minutes from now, but right now, what is the actual truth of what you're going through? Because really all we have is the present moment and we have to really make decisions based on what's going on at that point. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't read Byron Katie, you will love Byron Katie, but she talks about that a lot. And, and it's absolutely true that we, like for example, my seven-year-old daughter sometimes has accidents in her knickers and you know I have the, I used to have this thought like she's too old for this well clearly that's not the truth <laughs> <laughs> right 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 
But, you know, we have this thought and that's what makes it frustrating. So when I'm frustrated in helping her clean herself up, it's because I've got this thought, you're too old for this. You should know better. Well, clearly the truth is she doesn't know better. She isn't too old. Otherwise it wouldn't be happening. And when you start fighting reality, you're not going to win. So, you know, it's better to rewire it and go, hey, I can help you. And it will take five minutes to clear up. And that's it. It's not a problem. You know, it's funny, when I went on my walk this morning, I ran into a neighbor of mine who is a child psychologist, and she said something to me this morning. We were talking about my daughter. Her her kids used to babysit my daughter, and we were talking about my daughter a little bit, and, um, you know, it was just so ironic. It was like I was just walking past her house at the same time that she was coming out of her driveway, and we just ended up taking a walk together. It wasn't planned. We just happened to, you know run into each other. But I I always believe that the universe kind of gives you what you need at the moment. And we were talking a little bit about my daughter and struggles of being a teenager. And one of the things that she said to me was, um, you know, you really need to make sure you're parenting her for who she is, not who you think she should be. And it's, that's exactly it. I think when we talk about parenting, when we talk about self-care, all of the things that we talked about today, to really be present in what's truly going on and being able to be the most present available parent to your child is really taking care of them for who they are and knowing who you are, I think, as a woman and as a person and and what your boundaries are and what your um, abilities are as a parent and to really come from that place. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think that's beautiful and and I totally love it. And I think it's a really good reminder. And I think you know, we so often as parents get frustrated with our kids, but there's another way of looking at it, which is I have this amazing gift, which is I have been given these children to look after. And even with their frustrations, they are an amazing gift. Mm. And actually I can stop seeing the frustrations as frustrations. Yeah. You know, to find gratitude in things. I mean, even like with my daughter, my husband gets super, super special annoyed at her with her attitude or teenage attitude. And, and I just keep saying to him, this is normal. You know, if she wasn't like this, I would be concerned. If she wasn't trying to find her own way and be, you know, trying to break off and have some independence, I would be concerned. So we have to understand how to navigate it based on the fact that this is normal. This is what teenagers do and accept that. Yes, absolutely. I think parenting is just one of those really difficult things. Nobody really ever prepares you for parenting, do they? And I think now we've kind of lost our social networks of helping. So Mm. we kind of feel a little bit isolated and we're reading it all from books. Whereas back in the day, it was passed on and you would talk to your grandmother or your mother or your aunt or, you know, your mother's best friend or something like that. And we just don't have that structure anymore. Yeah, we need to, we definitely as women need to be more open and talk to each other a little bit more and, and, you know, because we're also in a day and age of perfection, right? Nobody wants to admit that things aren't perfect. So, you know, they, they talk everybody up. And I'm always the first one to say, no, I'm really struggling here. Like, I have a teenage daughter. Somebody help me. I'm, I'm raising a flag. Like, I, I don't know how to navigate this. Even though I was one once and not that long ago, I would like to think. It's, it's confusing and it's, it's a tough um, thing to navigate in today's world. And on top of it, by the way, trying to take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So I'm glad that we had this conversation today and you opened our eyes to a little bit about how you do it. And I think, like you said, forming the habits and the discipline is really important and uh, something that I definitely need a lot of work on. So you've opened my eyes for sure. So I appreciate that. My pleasure. Just a quick note on Mm -hmm. habits. It's not discipline that you want to look for. It's making your habits easy so Mm -hmm. that you can do them. So it's habits are about how easy you can set your life up 
rather than, oh my goodness, I have to be really disciplined. So I've got this habit. Mm, I love that. That's such such a good way of looking at it. Um, I appreciate you and I appreciate your time today. And I'm wondering for anybody that wants to find you, where can they find you? I have my own podcast called Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond. And my website is Dr. Orlina. That's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com. Yeah. And of course, all the links will be in the show notes. So Dr. Orlina, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a good review and a five-star rating and share with a friend. We all need to have each other's back. If you know somebody out there that needs to hear this message today, send it to them. I appreciate you guys. I love you. And I will check in with you next time.